This is HPR episode 2887 entitled Star Drifter RPG Playtest Part 01 and is part of the series Tabletop Gaming. It is hosted by Lost and Bronx and is about 37 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is Lost and Bronx and Friends Playtest a new original RPG system. Today's show is licensed under a CC0 license. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hello, this is Lost in Bronx, also known as David Collins Rivera. I am a contributor here at Hacker Public Radio, but I'm also a writer. I have a novel series called Star Drifter. Currently, I have three books out. I'm working on the fourth and a bunch of short stories as well. This is a space opera series set a couple hundred years in the future. Star Drifter has no magic in it, no aliens, only humans. It's a humans-only universe. They haven't found any evidence of life that has not originated on Earth. Star Drifter, however, is not hard science fiction. It involves some technologies that don't exist and probably could never exist. I do try to get as much of the science right as I can otherwise. But we still need faster-than-light drive. We still need to expand out into the universe. We need our ray guns and our rockets and all that fun stuff for science fiction. Now then, I'm also an old gamer. I used to play a lot of role-playing games. I used to play a lot of D&D and many others, including Traveler, which is another space opera role-playing game. Then life got in the way. I stopped playing for a good long time, probably at least 20, 30 years close to. Well, Clatu and I started a gaming endeavor called Mixed Signals, and you can check out our blog at mixedsignals.ml. We try to update it a couple times a week. Now then, I have created role-playing games before. As I say, I'm a writer, I'm also a gamer, I've written role-playing games. Long time ago long time ago, but I started thinking about doing it again, and Star Drifter seemed like some good source material to pull from. First off, I have the rights. Secondly, it's kind of what I love. Science fiction, space opera, high adventure in deep space. So I created an early version of the Star Drifter RPG rules. Went through two or three different iterations of it and finally came up with something that I thought was worth playtesting. So I reached out to a couple of good people and they agreed to playtest and we decided to record it. So that's what this series is. Today is the first episode of a limited series where we'll be playtesting this particular version of the Star Drifter rules. It'll run probably about... Well, between 8 and 10 episodes. 
Now I'm doing this for HPR primarily for people to see at least part of the process of how a role-playing game is created. And this is tabletop role-playing, understand, with dice and paper. We did work over the internet, but that was about the only computer component involved. Now, this first episode is basically just me reading through the rules and getting feedback from the other players. That is the thing I wanted to do. I wanted to read the rules cover to cover. But don't be intimidated by that because, again, it's an early version, and these rules are very short compared to other games that are out there. Very, very basic, very, very short. In this episode, we only get through part of the rules. I continue in the next episode, and in fact, in the third episode is when we finish reading the rules. So if you want to skip all that stuff and go right to the actual game sessions, you'll want to pick up with episode three once it's been uploaded. But I guess that's good enough for now, so let's just jump right into it. Hello, everyone. This is Lost in Bronx, and today we're going to be playtesting a new, uh, or I should say proposed, role-playing game based on my own Star Drifter short stories and novels. Don't know how it's going to go? We'll find out, and you'll find out along with us. Today with me, I have Klaatu. Uh, Hey, everybody. And Taj. Howdy, folks. And Bryn. Hello, everyone. And we may be joined later by somebody else. We'll uh, we'll see how that goes. But at any rate, this is early, early stuff. If this was software, this would be considered alpha state software. I, I banged up a uh, version of this game. It's a – right now we are at um, version 0.02.4DR. The DR, well, the DR stands for a game called Dungeon Raiders by a guy named Brent P. Newhall. He uh, created a retro clone of the original D&D box set, and I was very impressed with it and thought it would be a great jumping off point for all sorts of games. Well, the first thing that came to mind was Star Drifter because I have plenty of that lying around, so I decided we'd go with that. What I'm going to do here, because it's a brand new game and the rules, as I've come up with so far, are very short, I'm actually going to go through the whole rule book right now, hoping to get feedback from my victims here who have agreed to participate in this playtest. Now, I do have an adventure as well, and hopefully we'll get to that today. If not, this will be a multi-parter. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. So if you guys are ready, we'll, uh, we'll get started. I did send them copies of the rules. They can follow along if they wish, but I, you know, I'm just going to go over this and see what they think. The very first part of this is called the essence of a person. Characters in Star Drifter are made up of the following aspects: attributes, the six classic scores, intelligence, wisdom, charisma, strength, constitution, and dexterity, tested when attempting nearly any difficult feat. Next is class, the character's focus and profession. Next are hit points and stamina. Taken together, these are a generalized indication of how much damage a character can take. They are based on class. Skills, learned abilities, honed over time, and certified by experts. And finally, XP or experience points, an abstract representation of an adventurer's professional and life experiences. I think those are pretty self-explanatory. Any questions about that or any ideas no that was pretty clear to me it's just listing basically the terms i'm going to be using essentially i guess okay we'll go right into attributes skill checks and saving throws the classic attributes 
Rolling for character attributes. Pick one of these methods or another if your GM prefers. Now, I'm actually personally fine with virtually any way that gets you six stats. But, you know, I do have three methods that I put in here. Method one, roll three die six. That's three six-sided dice six times, placing them where you want. You may then bring the lowest number up to 10. In this case, 10 is considered average. So if you have a really low number, you can bring it up to at least average. Method number two is roll 4d6 six times, dropping the lowest die each time. You may place the final numbers where you want. This is a very classic way of doing things. And a lot of people to this day roll up characters that way, as far as I know. Method number three is roll three die six six times, placing the numbers where you want. You may then and only then re-roll any or all of these numbers, but you must accept the second roll, whatever it is. And that one gives it a little extra chance. Like, say you got a really crappy number, and like if you rolled a three, it doesn't hurt at all to re-roll that and take whatever comes, because odds are it's going to be better. But sometimes you say, well, an eight's not great. I'll roll for a better one. You take a chance. So I don't. So Lost in Bronx, I don't know if anyone else had this problem or this this non-problem, I guess. And maybe maybe it's just me being hyper. Like maybe I just haven't played enough first edition. But um, I I felt like I was rolling really high on on everything, and I'm wondering if that's a if that's expected. Like I could I got one like out of I don't know how many tries I got like one that was actually under ten, and then I just raised that up to ten, and I felt. I feel like I'm OP right out of the gate, but maybe I'm... So I take it you used method number one. Correct. That's pure chance. I mean, that is, especially there, that is pure chance. I mean, three dice six, six times, you're going to get what you get. If you got some nice numbers, that's awesome. But I've rolled that, you know, three dice six, six times and gotten horrible numbers. I had a character that I played for many years in a campaign. His highest number was 13, and most of them were under nine. And that was using that method. So it really is just going to depend on what you've got. But, you know, this isn't exactly meant to be like old school D&D. I mean, it's based on a game that's based on that. But what I'm hoping for is a game where characters don't die like flies. You know, (laughs) I'm hoping for a game where characters do stand out above the average. I'll tell you right now that the average characters in this game, if it's just a plain old average character, they have tens in every stat. That's just average. That's, you know, they don't get any better or worse than that. And if you're doing better than that, you're doing great. So I have no problem with it. So Cool. Okay. Okay. Um, anybody else? Any thoughts about the methods? Is, is there another method you'd prefer to see or doesn't matter? I mean, I think they're pretty classic I think all these methods I've used at some point or another to play some sort of D&D type game. So um, I, I, I rolled up and I did okay. So I think everything was above a 10 except for one thing. So that seems pretty balanced to me. I agreed. I didn't have any problems Very cool. either. All right. I, I wouldn't, lost my route, I wouldn't mind seeing a fourth method, which is this a standard array like they do in Pathfinder and fifth edition where, where the, the book gives you some number of, you know, uh, an array mm-hmm. of numbers, and then you plug them into the character that you want you, to build. You, you know, I want to play a brute, rent. so I'm going to put my 15 in my strength or and my 14 in my deck or in my con. What do you, you mean know, by an array? Do you mean like having a pool of numbers that you can allocate any – because that's another, that's another classic yeah. method too where – 
Yeah, and yeah. you just put them where you want. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, that's a, yep. that's not a bad suggestion either. I yeah. feel like that helps people. Yeah, I, I feel like that helps people get the character that they that they have in mind prior yeah. to playing. Of course, understanding that this game isn't like those in that you're not going to have such an incredible amount of tweaking of the character, but everybody should have the yeah, yeah. Of the um everybody should have the freedom to create the kind of character that they want. So we'll yeah, we'll add that. Why not? That doesn't hurt. That was actually considered really heretical back in the day, just for <laughs> perspective. Yeah, was, uh, yeah. That was not normal, but I did run into people that ran their games that way. All right, so do I need to run through the the? I don't think so, but maybe for people listening, intelligence, the basic ability to learn skills and figure out mental problems, especially under pressure. Wisdom, general insight into situations and human behavior. Charisma. Personal presence and the ability to impress people. That probably does bear some comment. Charisma in this game has nothing to do with your physical appearance. In this game, charisma is exactly that, your personal presence, your personality that's being expressed. As far as I'm concerned, you can be as beautiful or as ugly as you want to be in this game because ultimately – it's not going to make that much difference. But if you write it down and say that you're extremely handsome and you remind me of that at the right time, it could make a difference. So keep that in mind. Strength is your physical power. Constitution is your physical fortitude. And dexterity is your overall nimbleness and coordination. So I'm including both hand-eye coordination and physical Most actions are simple, never requiring any sort of check to see if they succeed. When a character attempts a difficult action, however, especially when under stress, that is being chased, being shot at, defusing a bomb, etc., a skill or attribute check is required. The GM, that's Game Master, the GM determines when situations call for such a role. Attribute checks are performed with 1d20. Most checks are performed with 1d20 in this game. Actually, I think all of them are. One 20-sided die roll. The player rolls, and if the number on the die is equal to or less than their attribute score, the attempt is successful. The GM may apply any necessary modifiers to the roll and may also have a very different definition of success than the players do. That's an important thing to remember. Under most circumstances, characters attempting to use skills to use a skill they do not possess roll against the skill's associated attribute, often with penalties. Some skills are distinct but related and may be substituted for one another under certain circumstances. Another thing that's important to remember is, by and large, there, there'll be there are exceptions that I can imagine in this game, but by and large, your attributes never change. What you have at the start of the game is what you'll always have. So an attribute check when you're at first level isn't a whole lot different necessarily than a skill check. However, at uh, higher levels, an attribute check might be very different. So these are things that people need to keep in mind. Your skills do increase over time, but your attributes probably don't by and large. Skill checks are similar. And and guys, jump in at any point. If there's anything that you want to talk about or, or any questions, just please jump in. So. Skill checks are similar in that the player rolls 1d20 and compares it to the character's skill score, which includes all cert grades. Now, a cert grade essentially is, say you have exosuit, which is like a spacesuit. You have exosuit 1, your certification is 1 in that regard. Now, on other versions later on in this game, I'm going to separate cert grades from 
essentially a certification is that some certifying body has tested you and said, yes, you are this good in this skill. So cert grade one, two, three, et cetera, et cetera. But in other versions of this game, I'm going to change that and separate certified skills, uh, break it off to skills that you've learned on your own. So maybe you've, you're, you're good with exosuit simply because you've used it a lot, but you've never been certified by anybody. And that will have an impact more on the kind of jobs you can get and the kind of people who will hire you rather than actual practical number die rolls in the game. So just something to keep in mind. Because if you're you know, working for a legitimate corporation, they can't hire people unless they're certified in things. But if you're working for somebody dodgier, maybe they don't care. So... Modifiers, of course, may apply. Penalties usually apply for attempting an action requiring a skill the character doesn't expressly have, but which is related to one that they do. In this case, they roll against the skill they do have with that penalty. All subskills listed on a table together are related. Under normal, non-stressful circumstances, a character with at least a cert grade one in one subskill can usually use another on the list without needing to roll dice. That is, of course, the Game Master's decision. Note, though, that needing to use certain skills is sometimes inherently stressful. Uh, for example, survival. And I, in this game, I have .xxx, and that's, that's a placeholder because that means there are subskills and survival urban, survival nature, survival vacuum. These are separate skills, but in most cases, they can be swapped one for another, at least to some degree, with a minor penalty. Sometimes a major penalty. If a character does not possess the correct skill or a related sub-skill, they must roll versus the associated attribute score for it, usually with penalties. So what that means is that every skill will say survival urban, and that means being a homeless person in a city, if you if that is a skill that you have, and I don't know who would certify that, but we won't get into that right now, but assuming you have that, survival urban one, we'll say, there is an associated attribute that goes with that, and that is what the skill starts off at, plus your skill certification point. So if you're... Um, I'm not even sure what survival is based on. I don't have it in front of me right now. But whatever that happens to be, if if your attribute score is, say, an 8, you're starting with survival urban 8 plus 1 for that first level, that certification grade. So you're actually a 9. And it goes up from there as you add points to your certification. Whereas if you have to roll simply against that attribute, it'll be an 8. And it'll be an 8. It'll be an 8. It'll be an 8. Whereas if you actually have the skill, it gets better and better as time goes on. Okay, next are saving throws. Saving throws are required for characters in order to reduce or avoid the effects of otherwise unavoidable situations. These can be almost anything from nearby explosions to surviving a spell of vacuum exposure without a suit, from being conned by a grifter to resisting the effects of brainwashing. Like other types of rolls, saving throws are rolled with 1d20. Equal to or less means success, and modifiers may well apply. Saving throws come in two varieties, mental and physical, and are obtained as follows. So basically, they are averages of your attributes. So your mental saving throws, you add up the character's intelligence, wisdom, and charisma, and then divide that by three, rounding up. Then you add plus one for each character level, including the first. 
So everybody ends up with a plus one right off the bat because you're first level and you get plus one for it. Physical saving throws are strength, constitution, and dexterity divided by three. Then add plus one for each character level, including the first. So like that. Now in this game, there's no save versus any kind of magic or anything like that because there is no magic in this game. This is all space stuff. It's all uh, space opera. So that's that. Any questions about that or any comments or ideas about the saving throws? Yeah, I I had another sort of question about that and I'm I'm again maybe I'm just being yeah I don't know. Um but Taj might have more to say about this too cuz it has math stuff in it. But I'm finding that really there's no way to get or away from pretty much either a 12 or a 13 on your saving throw. Like unless you unless you have like two 15s in you know in within one triad like an int and a wisdom you have 15 and 15 or strength and con 15 15 otherwise it always averages out to either 12 or 13 okay. in my experience um, so I far have i rolled up a couple of npcs some i have some that have uh, a saving throw of 11 in something another one has a saving throw of 15 it all really does depend now again it, you know i i not to argue with you on this but to i want to draw your attention back to modifiers may well apply trust me when i say the better it is the happier you'll be in the end because many saving throws there's going to be situational modifiers occurring right then and there that's an important element of the story so or of the game yeah okay all right as long as there are going to be modifiers to make that a little bit more varied i just felt like it was it was always ending up the same thing just going by the name saving throw Shouldn't they be better than average? Don't you want a better than average chance for your character to survive something? Um, that's my opinion, anyway. Again, I don't want... First off, just as a, a game master, I don't really enjoy save-or-die type of situations. But if there are going to be any, they're going to be telegraphed. And you'll have options, as to, you know, role-playing options on how to mitigate the situation. So, for instance... I won't have a death trap that you just walk into and it goes off. There's no way to detect it and you're dead. I mean, that's ridiculous, but there are game masters who do that. I've played with them. I, I guess my concern is, or, or the, the thing that made me mention that, is that if I'm, if I'm a, um, a drifter, then maybe I would think that I should have a better uh, saving throw um, in, in mental... But if I'm a spacer, maybe I or an ex mill, maybe I should have a better saving throw in physical than than my drifter companion. But if we're all averaging basically the same saving throws, I'm just wondering where the difference in 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 specialization comes in. You know, it's like like who's gonna feel like, oh, don't worry, I got this, guys, because I'm a I'm an ex mill, so my physical saving throw is great. It's just gonna be like everyone in the party is like, don't worry, we our physical saving throw is great. You know what I mean? Like, I, how are you going to feel different? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. I don't, I mean, this is just me, and you you tell me how you how you see, a, you know, feel about this. I don't necessarily think saving throws should be a reflection of how tough you are or how smart you are. This is a last-ditch effort to either avoid something terrible or even save your character's life. I think... When it comes down to something like that, it should be based on the stats that you have. So if you want a better saving throw, and again, if you've gotten averages of 13, then that's 
that's based on what you had rolled up, what numbers you achieved when you were rolling the character up. But if you want a higher mental saving throw, obviously you want to put those high numbers you've got into those mental characteristics, those mental attributes. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that, again, we're going to be playing this out and we'll see whether that works or not. It may not work at all. You know, it may not work at all. From my point of view right now on this side of, of the adventure, I think this is probably a decent way to build on the attributes that you chose to have. But where you place your attributes and the numbers you get, I mean, yeah, it can make a big difference. And also, and this is something that I would like to get everybody's opinion on at the end of the game. I would like to see the difference between how I've run the game and how the stats have worked out. In other words... A lot, I believe, I personally believe that many of the problems that a character runs into should be role-played out. You should figure out a way to get around them or to deal with them or endure them, as opposed to rolling dice to take the damage and keep going. Yeah, fair enough. Or to save your life, letting the dice decide and letting your stats decide. I prefer having the character, the player, the player decide how to survive this problem. That is a style, that's a style of gaming. But if it's not reflect, see that's that's fine for me. But if I then turn this over this game over to somebody else who plays a very different style of game, will the game still hold up? That's the question I have. Cool. Because it's no good if no one else can play it, right? If no one else can run yeah. this game except me, it's no good. So yeah, and then like future version that might be good to add is like flavor text to like talk about that. That's actually not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. But that too, that on its own might need role-playing, right, to scrap these kinds of saving throws and come up with a table, a separate table, just for the different, maybe the character classes, and try it that way and see if that way works better or if we prefer running it that way and then have that as an alternative set of rules or I don't know. I don't know. At at this stage, it's all up in the air. I'm going to lodge a, a suggestion and then we can move on, but I would say the saving throw shouldn't be based on the average of three. It should be based on a key, some key attribute and, and figured from there. I think the average is, is smushing it too much, but that's, that's a, an idea. We can, we, we can move on. I don't mean to bog it down. No, I got, let me make a note of it. I want to I wanna have a list of every suggestion. So, so you feel saving throws ought to be more or less focused around a single statistic, more or less locked to class? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, without us playtesting it first, it's a, you know, it, no, it's all course, theory. Yeah. So, so yeah. Okay, let's go. Okay, no problem. I was thinking about it, like, mechanically. You may be able, you're plus one. Um, if you increased that a little bit and then divided by four, it would pull them down a little bit. So, Kletu, do you think they're too high to start with, or they're just too average? Everybody's the same. I, th- I think my, my main problem is that they're too average, that everyone's the same. But, okay. yeah, that's my fear. Or even have, like, the okay. plus one. Like, you can pick which one your plus one goes into. Like, you get yeah, one and you can put it in mental, cool. or you can put it in physical. That's a pretty good idea. I like yeah, that, that's a yeah. Pretty good, yeah, that's a good idea. We're not going to be doing that today. We're running through the game as it's written today, but I'm taking every suggestion down. Because eventually, as levels go up, these saving throws get really, really high because you're getting a plus per level every time. But 
the concept here is that there's going your challenges are going to be greater, and that means your negative modifiers in those situations are going to be higher. That's the idea I'm hoping to get across. I guess we're up to character classes. Character classes fall into one of the following broad classes, each of which comes with a set of skills particular to that profession. Oh, we got somebody. Greetings. Hey there, Brian. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Hi, Brian. I'm well. How are you guys? Can you hear me? Yep, we can hear yep. you. Yeah, you, you sound good. Okay, great. Just made it back. What did I miss? I'm just reading through the rule set right now. Excellent. I haven't reviewed this update that you sent us yet. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, we're at character classes. I'm just, just starting, so you haven't really missed anything. We had some discussion about the saving throws and about uh, um, rolling up characters and such, but uh, nothing nothing major so far. Okay. Um, I think I got that stuff pretty clear. Okay. No problem. I am running through it all for the sake of... Uh, and I'm recording this, just to let you know. But I am running through this for the sake of listeners, any potential listeners in the future, so that they understand what we're going through and, and the idea. Plus, most especially, I want your your feedback as I go point by point. That way I I know I haven't missed anything. So Alright, so character right. classes. We have four character classes in this game. Future versions might have more than that. But uh, right now we have X-Mil, which stands for X-Military. They have starting HP and stamina of 10 each, 10 and 10. Skills, they have free skills of combat, XXX, meaning they can choose one of the subtypes of combat, and exosuit, meaning spacesuits. The X-Mil or X-Military class comes with the above two skills, one of which will be their prime skill. In addition, X-Mil types do one additional point of damage to all opponents upon a successful hit in combat, for every character level they achieve after the first. So it won't affect this game, but beyond this, they start to become very dangerous in a fight. They do plus one damage at second, plus two at third, etc., etc. And regarding prime skills, Bryn, you had a question that you emailed me about regarding prime skills, and I thought it was an actual, actually a really good idea. Do you want to explain it, or do you want me to paraphrase it? Or Go ahead and paraphrase. Okay. Well, as I understand it, the question was, the, uh, the way I had written it, and I have – what I just read was actually a modified version of what I read. But the way I had originally written it, it sounded like the prime skill did not have to be one of the two skills that you were given, one of the two free skills. But it, it, you could choose the prime skill from anything on the list. I didn't originally mean that, but I actually like that idea a lot, giving you the freedom to – you know, so you have X-Mail – if you're X-Mail – yeah, they taught you how to use a weapon, and yeah, they taught you how to use a spacesuit, but you had a specialty, and it doesn't necessarily fall into those two things. And you might have chosen, in Bryn's case, he wanted to choose pilot, to be a pilot. And, of course, that's not one of the two free skills, so effectively he's not starting as a pilot, though he might have the piloting skills, but it's not his prime skill. I thought that was a very good idea, and I think in the future I'm going to include that. Any thoughts, guys? I think it's a good idea because it it lets you kind of tailor your character a little better. So you can you can yeah. create so, sort of like you said there's not really a pilot class, but you can kind of create your own by just selecting the skills you need. Yeah, okay. what Taj said. Cool. May I also really briefly say Lost and Bronx? Go ahead. I'm sorry no, go. to keep well, I guess I'm not sorry. Want you wanted feedback. feedback. Um I find it 
I, I find these instructions to be falling prey to all the other instructions, including the ones that you yourself critiqued, and that is that they are not they're not telling people what to do with the information that is being delivered. So for instance, in the XML, it states this extra bonus. XML types do one additional point of damage to all opponents on upon us, blah blah blah. What is the supposed to do with that? You should tell the player, the reader rather, write this down in your, you know, bonus your class bonus uh field on your character ah. sheet. That sort of uh. thing. Like this is not this is not an instructional thing. It's it's very much a this a, this is a soft, this is a spec. Okay, of the game. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. It'll keep it from feeling like character creation in Starcrafter or uh, in Starfinder. In yeah. Starfinder, exactly. I was like, yeah. I agree with that myself. I uh, I wasn't able to figure out exactly what you were saying with all of this stuff, but even like on the the saving throws, it's I think it's pretty clear that you just add those up, write them down, log it there, but it didn't explicitly say that cool great this is good stuff thank you i'll probably hit you guys up more than once later on down the line feedback on even these points but some my notes are crappy too all right cool all right so that's x mill spacer starting hp and stamina are eight and eight their free skills are exosuit engineering xxx choose a subtype and bureaucracy Spacers come with the above three skills, one of which will be their prime skill. When rolling again, you know, the same criticism Bren had, or question, whatever that Bren had about prime skills, that will apply to everybody. So when rolling against uh, any piloting XXX or engineering XXX or exosuit skill checks, whether they actually have the skill or not, spacers may opt to roll a second time and choose the best number. Just basically a reflection of their general experience. Stationers, that's the next character class. Their starting HP and stamina are 6 and 6. Now, that is the lowest number of anybody in the game, and that's a reflection of the more sedentary lifestyle that stationers might have. Their skills include bureaucracy, computers, social engineering, and medico. And medico is a catch-all phrase for any kind of medical services in this future time. And the reason I use that term is simply because... There may be so many different types of medical professionals that you run into, only one of which might actually hold a doctorate, that calling someone a doctor can be wildly inaccurate. Calling someone a therapist or a physician's assistant or a nurse practitioner or this or that, all of these things are are different, and they might be providing different services. So the catch-all phrase for all of them and all of the services that they offer is medico. Stationers come with the above four skills, that's bureaucracy, computers, social engineering, and medico, one of which will be their prime skill. Stationers start with double the amount of Q, and Q is the money, that's the currency in this game, as other characters, and they own an apartment somewhere on a space station. You own that, that will always be yours, barring any role-playing or adventure-related material, you know, things that happen. I mean, if the station blows up, you don't have it anymore. But uh, other than that, it's something that you have because it's a reflection that you have lived your life on a station and you have a life there that you can go back to. Drifters. Now, their starting HP and stamina are 8 and 8. Their skills are, and these are free skills that they get, Exosuit, Engineering XXX, choose a subtype, Combat XXX, choose a subtype, and Social Engineering and Lying. 
The Drifter class starts with the above five skills, but does not get a prime skill. They always incur one less penalty point when attempting a skill they don't know. For example, the Game Master might decide that using an unfamiliar weapon imposes a minus three penalty on the die roll. Because this character is a Drifter, however, the penalty is only minus two. This applies only to skill checks, not attribute checks or saving throws, even though the drifter may be rolling against an associated attribute of a skill when attempting to perform it. Also, we are talking specifically about penalties. So if there is no penalty, you're not getting a bonus of some sort where, say, roll against your intelligence and your intelligence is a 12, you're not rolling an 11. It only reduces your penalties. So that's it for part one. The entire playtest was done in two recorded sessions. And the first five episodes represent the first session and then the next anywhere between three and five episodes, I haven't quite finished editing those, will represent the second session. This playtest did take place several months ago. And I do have a new version of the rules that's nearly complete. It's pretty different from the one that you'll be hearing in the game sessions that we have recorded. But this session was absolutely vital to the evolution of this game. All the changes that I have in the current version of the game, they evolved out of the feedback that I got from my wonderful players. Now again, this is all meant to be edifying for people that wonder how you go about creating a role-playing game. This is a very important part of it, getting the feedback from the players. Sometimes I argue a little bit because... I like what I came up with. (laughs) That doesn't make me right necessarily, but it is part of the process because by discussing it in that way, by having a conversation with the different players about their opinions and about the feedback that they have to offer, it makes me think. It sparks ideas. It makes me reevaluate the things that I came up with and thought were pretty good. So anyway, next time in part two, there are more rules to come. I'll see you then. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.